And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Wednesday, August 30th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we will discuss the many players that popped up on waivers. About half of them were actually from the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. We'll dig into what value those players might have, where they might end up as a result of the waiver system, and whether this might be a problem in the future that needs to be addressed. Uh, we had some other stuff that happened on Wednesday, including Alex Cobbs brushed with a no-hitter. Eno wrote an article last week that we really didn't talk about on the show about late turnarounds. What are the odds of players who have struggled up to this point actually coming back and playing really well during the final month of the season? So we got that, plus a few other things. Uh, maybe even some Jay Kuda tweets along the way. <laughs> Although the worst thing you can do on a podcast is describe someone's timeline. Especially a visual artist like Jay Kuda. <laughs> yeah, just follow Jay Kuda on Twitter if you don't already. He's got more followers than I do. I think he's got as many followers as Eno and I put together. So chances are, if you're following one of us, you're probably already following Jay. But uh, you'll get some chuckles out of that. Uh, let's start with the Angels. The Angels put their trade deadline additions on waivers. That means Lucas Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez, Randall Gritchick can be claimed by any other club. And their salary comes off the books for the Angels. And it wasn't just those three players. It was also Hunter Renfro and Matt Moore. Uh, and I know people were generally bothered by the Angels putting this many players out there. I think in part because they don't get necessarily like distributed in a way that gives every team a fair shot. The way the waiver system works is the teams with the worst record get priority at those players. And as we all know... The teams that aren't going to the playoffs this year, the clear bottom feeders that have that first priority, they're not going to claim any of these guys because they're not going to spend money for no reason, right? All these guys are free agents at the end of the season, so there's no value add for those teams. But what's going to happen is the teams that are in the thick of the wild card race, and maybe even like the Twins leading the AL Central, those teams are kind of ideally positioned to get maybe multiple players from this group and a group that also includes Harrison Bader, Josh Donaldson, Mike Clevenger, Carlos Carrasco, and I think the Tigers reliever Jose Cisnero is also part of this as well. So you get about 10 players out there that other teams are looking at, and the teams at the very top of the standings, Atlanta, Dodgers, they have no shot at these players. And I think that's probably a frustrating system to work within because every team loses players after the non-waiver trade deadline, you know? So is this going to push us back in the direction of having a waiver trade deadline period throughout August like we used to have? This used to be a thing. There was a deadline on August 31st and players that were placed on waivers, if they cleared, they could be traded. If they were claimed by a team, you could work out a trade with them. But now that system is gone and this seems problematic in some ways. I just don't think that you can put a moratorium on roster moves during the season. 
Um, they're just, there are going to be teams that make moves and they have to drop players. And with guaranteed contracts, you have to go through the waiver system. So I don't think there's, there can be a moment where you say, after this moment, no more waivers. Uh, so then what happens to, to the players that people wave? You know what I mean? Like they, they has to, there has to be a waiver system in place. Uh, there can be a toggle of the trade deadline where it's too later to um, maybe help sort the teams better. So teams know their buyers or sellers, um, you know, a little bit more definitively. Uh, you could toggle the uh, deadline for the postseason for how you can be on the roster. But we all know from K-Rod that that can be played with too because as long as the guy you're picking up off of waivers replaces an injured player, they can be on the postseason roster. So you just have to, you know, put someone on a 60-day IL and boom, you know, Lucas Giolito is on the postseason roster no matter when you pick him up, if I understand the rules correctly. So, uh, <laughs> you know, the they're, they're, they're kind of stuck here. I think uh, one thing that does suck about this is maybe not the idea that teams will put guys on waivers, um, you know, at the end of the season. Uh, I, I don't know how much of a pandemic this is right now or if it'll become endemic because um uh, we have the angels doing it and then we have like three or four other teams just releasing one guy you know it's right it's not like it was not it, it, it felt like the floodgates when the angels did it but i don't i don't know there's still plenty of uh players being paid on on teams and we're also talking about it's only something that'll happen for rentals right and rentals change hands at the trade deadline pretty easily. What it will do is further depress the selling price of rentals, which was already in the basement. Um, it'll further depress it because you could say as a buyer, especially if you're not a top of the, uh, the a division buyer, let's say you're a, a person going for the wild card, you could say, why should I pay you any prospects for Paul DeYoung when I could wait uh, two weeks and wait for you to release them and just claim them. So, you know, there'll be some sort of haves and have-nots where the Braves are like, well, okay, we have to pay a prospect because we're not in a good spot in the waiver orders. We'll never get any of these waiver players. So, you know, even if we want to rental, we have to pay a prospect. But for everybody else, it might depress the price of uh, the selling price of a, of a, of a, uh, of a rental player. We're starting to get separation in the playoff field a little bit just in terms of odds, right? The Padres have sunk down to a 1.8% chance of making the playoffs, according to Fangraphs, as we begin play on Wednesday. Uh, the Reds are down to a 10.9% chance. The Marlins are down to 12.9%. Those teams are still trying, the Marlins and Reds, and even the Padres, right? Because anything can happen. I think it's strange to me, and maybe this is also partially the result of having expanded playoffs. Like maybe the the rules around late season roster transactions just are out of step with the number of teams that are trying. And you're right about the just moving the the regular trade deadline, the non-waiver trade trade deadline back. What if you moved it halfway into August instead of August 1st or July 31st? What if you said it's August 15th, August 16th? Yeah. Or if it was today or tomorrow, the last day of August. Like the, those would all be reasonable outcomes like do you feel do you feel this is the current system do you feel this is worse than just pushing that whole deadline back because the thing that I, I worry about is that the trade deadline can be a bust some years anyway 
we were in complete disagreement about how good this year's deadline was. But <laughs> if you push it back further, does that keep many teams just waiting and waiting and waiting until the last possible minute to swoop in and make changes? Could we actually make the trade deadline even worse by pushing it back two or four weeks? Yeah, because then the some of the calculus is, why should I pay at all for even a high-profile acquisition if it's just for four weeks? It's, yeah, it's four weeks, so the, the return for the teams that are trading players away goes down even further. So I don't know. Yeah. Like I, I think... I think we might be at a point where baseball's roster rules need a refresher. I don't have a, a complete solution. I just I think it's like a, a constitution for a fantasy league that started 30 years ago that's been amended year over year over year for 30 years. And it's just so tangled up that if you were starting from scratch, there's no way it would look the way that it does right now. But untangling it and preserving the things you like without wrecking it is really complicated without without actually starting over and starting over in this case requires things that are in the collective bargaining agreement so that becomes extremely complicated i just don't i don't know how bad this is you know like uh we're talking about 10 players but you know impact players are we are we talking about two or three you know um and in terms of unfairness uh, it's not that unfair I, and i actually i don't expect the padres with their bloated payroll to um to claim a lot of these guys and, and block them from other players uh teams i just i don't know i don't get that sense i think it'd be almost more likely for them to drop a bunch of their players on waivers and try to get under they're at 280 uh by fan graphs and 273 is an apron um you know the angels are going to save eight million dollars with their uh with their drops so you know, the Padres could get under that 273 apron if they did it. Uh, but they'd have to drop, you know, a lot of the rentals are, are big names. So they'd have to drop like Snell and Hader and stuff. And maybe they're just, I think they'll get stuck in inertia and just be like, well, we're not at zero. So let's just keep playing. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they're going to add Lucas Giolito. So I uh, assume that the Giants, D-backs, Cubs, and Twins uh will eat up most of the i don't even know if the guardians will do it you know like spend money and they're seven games under 500 so uh i would say that the twins d-backs and cubs and giants um and maybe the reds those are the teams that are going to claim most of these players yeah i saw zach meisel indicate that he thinks that carlos carrasco wants to finish his career in cleveland and carrasco might just clear waivers be released and then sign for the minimum and that leaves the Mets on the hook for the balance of the salary that's part of the outcome for some of these players the players are not all gonna get clear. like Cisnero like I don't know if he moves the needle so yeah it depends I mean who knows who knows He's if someone enough. sees something in there that they can they can tweak right. quickly right relievers are always kind of interesting when they pop up I mean, what's wrong with Giolito right now like Giolito has been horrible since the trade I thought that was a good trade rehashing this again for 30 seconds I like that the Angels tried. It didn't work out. Here we are. Lucas Giolito, ERA was close to seven during his brief time with the Angels. Walk rate ticked up a little bit. Home run rate went through the roof. But looking at the actual the pitch mix and the stuff, what actually happened? Why was he so bad results-wise during this brief time with the Angels? Now he's a little amped. I mean, his fastball velo went up a tick. And weirdly, his changeup velo 
uh, went up a tick and a half, which means that the separation was smaller than it was before, and he's he throws a straight change, so uh, maybe being amped uh, did not serve him well. It's the kind of stuff that you would look at and say in a small sample, yes, this dude has a home run problem over his his history, but 2.8 home runs per nine is is just noise. So uh, I would... I would think generally it's mostly noise. Some of it, you know, just being amped and not not necessarily helping his pitch mix. Um, and then, you know, that stadium is is trending more in the hitter direction than it used to be after the alterations they made to the fences. Maybe there is a specific spot in those fences uh, that doesn't play well for Giolito. So um, I still think he's a decent player, you know, uh, you know, if you go back to full season numbers, uh, 25% strikeout rate, uh, 8.7% walk rate, those are above average numbers, uh, for a starting pitcher. Um, and so if, I think, I, I don't know that I'd call him an ace, but I'd say he's comfortably above average. And if you're the giants and you're running out, you know, openers and bullpen games to twice a week or, uh, you know, what's the back end of the uh, Diamondbacks rotation look like? The Reds rotation? I think there's no way that he gets past the Reds, uh, Giants, and D-backs. Um, you know, those the, one of those three teams is going to claim Lucas Giolito. Yeah, I mean, you, you think he's pretty easily the, the highest ceiling of the pitchers available for sure. I and mean, Lopez Although is an I, impact arm. And like yes, put, I really like Ronaldo Lopez. I think if the D, if he gets past the D backs, I don't understand baseball. Yeah. Right. They've had a knee in that bullpen all season. <laughs> he immediately comes in and it could be at least their second best reliever, probably behind Paul Seawald. That would be yeah, totally a, a big boost for them. I, I'm with you on Giolito. I'm really curious to see where he ends up in the off season too, because I think someone's going to get a potential bargain if they can, work with him, make a few tweaks, oh. and get him back on track. My prediction was he gets the Manaya deal, and he goes to San Francisco. Yeah, well, he might get a head start on seeing how much he likes being in San Francisco, depending on how this all uh, plays out. Think about what, who he is now as a pitcher. Like, I think, let's say he had, he had like an, an ace-like season, he would have put himself into, into like Ray and Gossman territory, where here's a guy who's been up and down, but he had he's coming off a great season. Maybe he's figured something out. We'll give him... You know what was Ray, what were Gossman and and Ray like 150 million? And at least at least a hundred. Gossman was 120 million over six or something. Five for 110, which feels there like a go. bargain yeah. now. Five and 110. I think Ray was very similar. So I think he could have been in that territory. But if you don't make that territory, the next territory is like oft injured guy coming off an okay season. So James Jameson Tyon, I think was like four and sixty. Yeah, close to four and sixty. Four and sixty eight. Yeah, so there's that uh, tier, but I don't know that a team is going to give uh, Giolito 4 and 60. And what he could say is, if I got a one-year deal, like he would have actually probably taken the, the, uh, franchi- the franchise tag, the uh, qualifying offer, pitched for $19 million and hoped that he could come back out and still get the Gossman and Ray deal. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So I think he'd still... I think you, if you're a pitcher, you don't take like four and four, like, I don't even know if he gets the four and 60. So let's say someone's offering you like three and 35 or three and 40, you know, do you take that or you take one and 18, which is like half of that 40 almost and take a shot at coming out and maybe still getting the hundred million. 
I think you look at something similar to what Robbie Ray did with that brief stop in Toronto, right? Before Robbie Ray well, got well, the five-year deal. deal, it was a one-year deal. Like you, you yeah. pick your spot and you say, I want to go here. I, I like this organization. I like these pitching coaches. I, I like the way these things happen here. There's opportunity. They're offering me a, a one-year $15 million deal or $18 million deal. They, they, somebody will offer him something like that. Giulio is going to be 30 next July. So he would enter free agency looking for a multi-year deal as a 30-year-old if he waits an offseason. So I think he has he has the luxury of of choosing that short deal if he feels that's his best long-term path. Age is on his side, the track record being good enough. I think if he took the multi-year deal this winter, the tie-on deal is the right comp. Same kind of mm. thing. Up and down performance, flashes of being really good. You could probably make pretty clear arguments that the best versions of Giolito were even better than the best versions of Jamison Tyon. So uh, I think that's probably where you end up as far as what teams would likely offer, just based on how difficult the last two seasons have but been. But four and 60, I feel like that's interesting because you could be like, well, could I get half of, could I get like a third of that in one year? And then still come out and take the four and sixty the next year. Well, yeah, it really depends because you think about even Noah Syndergaard's one year deal with the Angels two years ago. That was a bigger number, right? That was close to a qualifying offer yeah. amount of money, and they had I to pony up be a draft on the table pick. for Giolito for sure. Like one and eighteen, one and twenty will be out there for him. And I think teams will be really interested because he will not have the qualifying offer attached, so you don't mm-hmm. have to go up the draft pick compensation. Um, to go get him. By the way, part of the other reason, it's not just saving money because Artie Moreno wants to be cheap. There's actually the competitive balance tax threshold that they're trying to get underneath. If they get under the $233 million mark, it improves the draft pick compensation they'll get when, when Shohei Otani leaves, which is just like, <laughs> Angels like fans are like, oh, we're going to get something? It's like, well, you're going to get something a little better when Shohei Otani leaves. Uh, 60 picks. Yeah, 60 picks difference. So. Fourth round to second round, That's it's, yeah. it's sure, it's better than being the it's fourth. It's a big deal. But... It's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, if you're an Angels fan, though, but that's you're not losing Otani. Yeah, it's not really, yeah. Brutal. It's not Otani. It's not that great. Yeah, that's true. Brutal outcome, uh, for sure. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As far as the rest of this group of players that were let go, right? I mean, you mentioned you like Lopez quite a bit. Uh, do you have you know, faith that Matt Moore contributes as part of an A bullpen for a contending club? I do. You know, the when you get these conversions uh, from uh, reliever to start, from starter to reliever, you you add a bunch of years onto the end of your career. So, you know, he's only been a reliever, a full time reliever, really, uh, for two years. Uh, he looks like a, a strong reliever to me. 
Um, and, uh, you know, left-handed on top of that, I'm sure there's going to be a need. I don't, I don't necessarily know off the top of my head, which of these bullpens needs a lefty the most, but, uh, Matt Moore will be claimed for hundred percent. Oh, sure. Just, absolutely. Yeah. It's just a question I don't of know like that he'll, how far down the order he, he go? holds and will he, will he like for that fantasy relevant? I don't know that he'll immediately slot in as someone's setup man or close. And I, I doubt he'd close. So he'd be more like a seventh inning lefty, you know? Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm with you there. I mean, the other angels that were let go, Randall Gritchick, I don't know, maybe he ends up in another familiar place, but he ends up back in Toronto. I've seen some speculation about that. Um, Hunter Renfro, I, I like Renfro more than Gritchick. I think there's just a little more value all around there. He has cooled off. He was playing really well in the first half, and the second half has dragged his season numbers down to a 237, 300, 422. It's the worst full season line he's had since his final year in San Diego in 2019. He's just one of those players up and down all the time. Barrel rates way down this year. Usually that's sort of the underlying consistency that you get from Hunter Renfro. Uh, but I have to think there's going to be plenty of interest in him too as a right-handed bat that adds some power. I just wonder if his value ends up taking a hit because on a better team, he probably won't play every single day. He may end up in a 50 to 60% share on a contending club. Yeah, I'm looking at at needs and by uh, projections, uh, one team that popped surprisingly was the Phillies. Uh, it's just the projections don't like Nick Castellanos, really. <laughs> Nick Castellanos' defense in particular uh, drags down those projected war numbers, too. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically it. But, um, you know, could the Phillies claim an outfielder and push Kyle Schwarber to DH more often? Uh, I think that they'd actually maybe prefer Renfro because Grichuk's defense has gotten pretty terrible. Um, other teams that sort of pop when you look at good teams with iffy corner outfield situations, I'm a little surprised. Reds are kind of bottom 10th uh, in both left field and right field uh, by projections. Uh, and I have been noticing that um, with like, and, and by the way, Kristen Encarnacion strand, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some sort of injury update, uh, with him because he dove really awkwardly and fell on his wrist and was flexing at the rest of the game. And it, and it, it contributed to, to two errors at first base for him. Um, so I don't know what's going on there, but then also they're running out a lot of Stuart Fairchild. Uh, in the outfield right now. And Nick Martini is up. Uh, what's the injury? Fraley's coming off the IL soon, so that's part of it. You know, Votto being on the IL, uh, Matt McLean, Matt and McClain, Jonathan India. Yeah. They're thin. They're, they're a lot thinner around the infield than they were just a few weeks ago. And, and, and the outfield mix is, even with Fraley in it, you could argue there's room for one more. Especially since Benson's a lefty. I don't know. You could You could still just basically claim one of Grichuk or uh or Renfro as a as a right-handed um platoon mate for uh for Benson. Those outcomes are not good for Renfro and Grichuk. Is there a place where there's a starting uh a starting role waiting for one of those outfielders or is this the sort of death knell for their value in most leagues? Mm, I think it's generally the latter. I, I think Bader remains frustratingly 
frustratingly interesting on the cusp yeah <laughs> frustratingly uh, somewhere between interesting and not <laughs> right two years running now where there just hasn't been as much power as we saw I, I think you can you could start to look at harrison bader now and take that longer range view and say he's a great defensive center fielder he has so few complete seasons he's, I mean, he's never topped 427 plate appearances we talked about that during draft season you have to treat him like a fourth outfielder but because he's a great defensive center fielder, there's always going to be interest. Until that facet of his game takes a, a noticeable drop, there will always be teams interested in having a guy like that on their roster. Contenders with the worst situations defensively in center field. Red Sox are worst in baseball in center field. They did just call up Sedano Rafaela, though. Yeah, I think that probably keeps them out of the mix. Reds. Reds again, okay. Second worst and outs above average in center field. That's interesting. Uh, and then uh, Giants, 25th. Now, I think the Giants... See, the one problem with the Giants, though, and this has been mentioned, is the Giants 40-man roster. Oh, yes. That's the, that's the thing that would keep you from going hog wild and claiming four players, right? You have to think about the players that you're letting go to make the pieces fit. Yeah, so, I mean, I can look at the active uh, roster and I could probably pick out like, hey, uh, let's uh, demote Tristan Beck and pick up Lucas Giolito, right? Beck has options. Giolito is probably better than him. Bam, that's good enough. Uh, they don't have a lot of relievers with options beyond that. So are you going to try and claim Lopez and Gilito? And uh, then if you pick up a bat and you say, well, we have four outfielders and six infielders on the infield on the on the uh, active roster, let's demote Casey Schmidt, who has options. And we now have Paul DeYoung and Tyra Estrada that can play short. This is without uh, Crawford being on there. You could say active roster wise, we'll demote Casey Schmidt, we'll demote uh, Tristan Beck, and that makes enough room for the for the people we want. Or we demote Wade Meckler. There's 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 that. But on the forty man, you know, you'd have to drop somebody off the forty man uh, to do this. And uh, they've got Jose Cruz uh, as a pitcher, Sean Hagelli, Randy Rodriguez. Uh, they could move Ross Stripling to the 60-day IL. Uh, I don't even know what's wrong with him. A back issue. I mean, it, you have to convince somebody that it was a 60-day IL. I don't think they want to release Keaton Wynn. I don't think they really want to release Joey Bart. Um, Roberto Perez is on the 60-day IL. Marco Luciano not releasing. David Villar. There's one. I mm -hmm. think you could actually release David Villar. That's one, uh, though. That's one. And then so, Elliot, Elliot Ramos is close, too, I would say. Yeah. Well, I and mean, yeah, you run maybe the risk somebody, of losing those guys, but they, they could clear waivers. Maybe somebody who's on the IL goes to 60 IL. And AJ Pollock, honestly, you could just release AJ Pollock. So if you wanted one of those righty outfielders, you release AJ Pollock. If you want Bader, yeah, if you want Bader. And a righty outfielder, you could release Pollock and Ramos. I bet you Pollock gets released. So I bet you they put a claim on Bader for Pollock um, and Giolito for Beck and Lopez uh, 
for maybe back two because they just figure they they won't have to do both. Those are the the machinations of making a decision like this. That's why it's it's not as easy as claiming everyone. And and that could be a full time job. It could actually. That that's one of the situations where you could say actually value is just as good as it was. Park is harder, but role is still good enough. Where in deeper leagues he might still do enough to be your last outfielder. Um, Josh Donaldson seems like he's done. Verducci had like a whole piece about how he's done, and they they put a, a clickbait head by, headline on it on Twitter where they said, "Of course, this is you know was this a a, a cautionary against tale against analytics?" Yeah. I think is what they said. <laughs> yeah, something to that effect. It's like anybody um, listening to this podcast knows that Donaldson is too old to believe a projected bounce back. That's something that we talk about a lot at thirty seven. Uh, and uh, we also don't talk about average exit velocity that much on this podcast because it's full of noise. So I don't know that you would have come away from us thinking, you know, that he's been amazing. He does barrel the ball, but you always have to put barreling the ball in context with the strikeout rate, which has just been just been ballooning. So um, I don't know. And also, just generally, you have to be aware that anybody thirty-seven can fall off a cliff and. His projections right now are so close to league average that if you say I can I can get you a player that's projected to be league average and has like uh, very little reliability in those projections. <laughs> well, he definitely won't be claimed because it's the prorated portion of north of twenty million dollars. He's going to be a guy that clears and then signs for the minimum if he gets another opportunity. I agree with that, and uh, and it'll be a, an edge case, maybe an injury. Maybe just need a right-handed third baseman, right-handed uh, DH first baseman, something where uh, you know he fits a need uh, for somebody, and he's uh, the minimum. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know that he will be. He don't, he won't be claimed. And and in terms of fantasy value, I don't think we've been talking about him as having fantasy value for a long time. No, no, I don't really see it. Mono leagues only, of course, at, at this stage. Um, you know, the White Sox waving Mike Clevenger, who, he's more complicated anyway, right? There were the allegations of the domestic violence and child abuse that surfaced during the winter. The league investigated that, opted not to suspend him. Clevenger denied any wrongdoing related to that incident. But I got to think it's not as simple as just saying we need pitching. Like that's a conversation that a few front offices might be having. But I don't know. I I wouldn't go down that road if it were me making the decision. Somebody probably will, just given how desperate the league is. There are secondary concerns, you know, just like with Donaldson. They're not like that not the same, but, you know, just like, how is this going to fit into my clubhouse? Do, mm-hmm. do my guys like him? You know, that sort of deal. Yeah, that's always a consideration, adding players to the deadline. And, and this is obviously a case onto itself. You know, and another thing that's interesting about uh, Clevenger is that uh, if you just looked at surface stats, you would say this is one of the top pitchers available. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily the case. I'm not. I'm not making that case. I'm saying you know they're releasing a guy uh, that uh, has like a three ERA. You know, three thirty two ERA. Like, what's up with that? But then you look over the Sierra four ninety eight Sierra. Uh, you look at his stuff and, you know, it's league average, uh, you know, I, I do think, I do think somebody will claim him. Actually, I do think somebody will claim him, uh, because league average stuff, uh, is better than that 498 Sierra. And so somebody will say, you know, 
my stuff model says he's still got something left. He's not really expensive. At $12 million for the year, you're talking about uh, spending $2 million uh, to, for the last month. I think uh, Carrasco follows the same arc we mentioned with Donaldson, though, where he has to clear and then sign just to chew up innings at the end of the season. Uh, and then Cisnero. Oh, so, so Cisnero is interesting to me because at a glance, I mean, he's made some improvements. The walk rate's down again this year, having some issues with homers compared to past years. He's shown the ability to miss bats, not at an elite level, but at an acceptable level. So do you see anything in that pitch mix? Do you see a good enough pitch or something that a team might want to change with Cisnero to just make him even a sixth inning guy, right? Because some teams are just looking for that fourth best reliever. Do you think he has anything that could be tweaked? I actually think, you know, there's something there. Uh, 122 stuff plus slider, 107 stuff plus four seamer uh, for the season. Now, let me see if there's been something that's uh, hurt him recently. Um, so I'm looking at the last 14 days uh, for Cisnero. Ooh, 82 stuff plus on the four seamer in his last three outings. So maybe some sloughing off of the fastballs quality uh but you know uh, one thing that it doesn't look like they've tried with cisnero yet is let's throw the slider 40 percent of the time <laughs> um so you know maybe there's a an, a an aggressive pitch mix thing that they weren't willing to do in uh detroit and you know anybody uh that struck out 25% of the batters he's seen for the full season has some interesting pitches by stuff plus uh and uh is available for free it will probably be claimed i mean he only costs almost nothing he's a 2.3 million dollar player so the prorated so portion of that is pennies so it, he might be the kind of guy that slips a little further into that list so one of the one of the lower priority teams could actually have a shot at getting a bullpen. The Orioles upgrade. just lost a prominent reliever. It's not like you're saying he's going to replace Felix Bautista. You're saying hopefully he's better than our sixth reliever, who used to be our seventh reliever, but now is our sixth reliever because of Bautista or whatever, you know? Yep. That's the exact right way to look at it as far as Jose Cisnero and how he goes. Let's talk about Alex Cobb for a bit. Mentioned up top, had a brush with a no-hitter. You were on hand for that on Tuesday night. You said this is the closest you've been to seeing a no-hitter oh, in person. Oh, God. I will admit this. I might as well. But I left the Mike Fires no-hitter early uh, <laughs> in Oakland. Uh, in my defense, uh, I left it early because there had been a thing with the lights that had delayed the game an hour. And at that time, my kids were still waking up at like 6, 6.30 and waking me up uh, along with it. And so I was like, I just saw the morning coming and I said, you know what, uh, Mike fires. I don't care. I'm out of here. And then he, then I, on, on the way home, I'm listening in the car. And I'm like, God, I've never seen a no-hitter. I could have stayed. Uh, this one I stayed for uh, and uh, stayed to uh, the very end, eight and two thirds for Cobb uh, before uh, he gave up a hit. And uh, I was a little sad for him, but uh, then I, you know, I had the opportunity to talk to him in the clubhouse after, and I realized why am I sad for this guy? He just pitched one of the best games of his life and he's flying high. When he came into the clubhouse, we were waiting outside. They had smoke machines. It looked like a strip club in there. It was crazy. They had they had one of those like um, 
you know, there's a car wash, uh, like blow up dolls, like those, those car wash things where the air goes through inflatable, it. Inflatable. Like yes. An inflatable. Yes. I know. Inflatable, it's like, like uh, kind of like a bounce house, dude, but bounce house, more dude, like yeah. a, an old, like an arch, like a, yeah, they had like lasers going. They had like lasers going. There's inflatable dude and like mu- real loud music and a fog machine, I think. Jeremy and... Giambi was in the league just too soon, man. He just <laughs> yeah. he showed up 20 years too early. They open up the door and we see we we see Cobb running through and we see this all the smoke coming out of the door and we hear this ah! and they all like, you know, <laughs> they like threw Gatorade at him and I don't know, I didn't see it, but uh, everyone was it. super happy for him because yeah, super happy for him because he's been uh, the guy who's shouldered uh, along with Logan Webb. They've been the ones who've made the Giants' um, a, attack plan for pitching possible. You know, you can't do what the Giants have done with these two and three and four inning pitchers unless somebody goes seven. You know, and Cobb and and Webb have been the the, the Giants uh, that have put uh, so many innings on their shoulders to to help rest the bullpens. Cobb did that in a, in a big way with a complete game, and so everyone was super appreciative. Also, for a guy who has had so many surgeries that he ranked them for me. Uh, you know, I think a. Well, it's not like babying him kept him out of surgery, so might as well let him go. Yeah, he's also thirty six. So like, what are we? What are we? What are we saving him for? You know. Um, and uh, he, you know, I think kudos to Kapler just being like, hey, you know, you had a no hitter going, and we just we want to let him try it. You know, it's not like you know if Kyle Harrison is on his hundred and thirty fifth pitch in his debut, right? And Different situation. To, nurse him through to the ninth, you know? So, uh, I, 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 I'm on board with what they did. Uh, Cobb, uh, was an amazing, amazingly a, a two pitch pitcher mostly, uh, that night and has been recently, uh, you know, throwing a lot of, uh, just fastball splitter games, but, um, the, in the wet air in San Francisco, Cobb's sinker and splitter both have more movement. And, um, he really enjoys pitching in San Francisco. It's really good for his movement. It's really good for his pitches. So this doesn't surprise me, uh, that he got close. And, um, I think he's been uh, in, in fantasy. I think he's been an underrated pitcher for a while. Uh, we've got now even back to Anaheim, uh, we've got three years with a three, six ERA, not a great whip, but, um, you know, a strikeout per inning and, uh, uh, not like he costs anybody anything uh, on draft days most years. Yeah, I think the the best versions of Alex Cobb seem to be when he's got the the ground ball rate up in the mid to high fifty percent range. He's got that going right now. Uh, K rate's down a little bit this year, so I do wonder if you you flip the calendar and he's thirty six next year. We'll see if he stays in San Francisco. I think they have a club option on him. He's probably still a stream at home sort of guy even though the ERA is a, a tick on the, the good side compared to like a league average ERA, the whip is a little bit problematic, right? He's a little bit hittable because it's a ground ball pitcher. It's just and, part of you it. You know, the, the defense behind him is not great. Yeah. <laughs> yes. If the defense got better, is it going to get better in, in one off season though? I, I, I think it's it possible. could. I think they could be, you know, I think they could. I don't think that, I don't think Brandon Crawford's coming back. And I don't think his defense, uh, you know, at his age was uh, necessarily a huge strength at short. I think 
they may just go full time with Marco Luciano. But if they go with Casey Schmidt and, and some Marco Luciano, I think that's an upgrade uh, at uh, at short. And we may see some movement. Um, you know where? Let me see here. What's Wilmer Flores' contract situation? Oh, I'm sure it's like an option of some kind for next year because every <laughs> exactly. every Giants contract is option, option, option. Actually, this one's interesting. Three for 16 and a half. That was covering 23 and 24. 2025 player options. The option they already is have on them. 2025. So Flores is still there. Um, very, very inexpensively. So JD it could just Davis be is in his extra, last extra year again. I don't. Yeah. Okay. I think that the defense at short. Yeah, could improve a little, but second base, um, and, and actually a healthy year of Tyra Estrada. So let's say you have a full year of Luciano slash Schmidt and Tyra Estrada at second. Tyra Estrada has really good outs above average numbers at second. So I think if you're talking about Luciano Estrada of the middle, I think that is an improvement uh, for his defense. Yeah, I think there's plenty of folks out there who are, are skeptical about Luciano being a good defensive shortstop. Some are even skeptical he's a shortstop at all. Um, so that could be a bit of a problem. But, you know, they could. But he's also like 12 years younger than Brandon Crawford. So. Oh, this yeah, that wasn't a case for Brandon Crawford. That's uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Schmidt, maybe that's probably curtains for Brandon Crawford at this point. Maybe you do Schmidt at short, Luciano at third and uh, Davis. And Flores uh, and Wade uh, all do first and DH, and you don't re-sign Jock. Yeah, yeah, maybe that, that's the way they go. Nineteen million dollars for DH. I I don't think that was a great idea. I still don't, and I think that you know they still want to attract a big name guy, and you know one of the big name guys out there plays DH. So there's they're always going to piece it together defensively uh, in San Francisco, but they also. I think they coach defense better than anybody. So I could say, I would say there's a chance that the defense is better behind Cobb next year. I think that's the part of Marco Luciano being at shortstop longer that you would say you, you could be optimistic about. Like, look at what they did with JD Davis at third, right? If you can take a, a C or a D grade sort of defender and, and make that player uh, even a B, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. So if, if you could do that with Luciano, that buys you more time to find a, a true defensive wizard at shortstop that could be the next great player at that position in san francisco let's talk about the late turnarounds you wrote an article last week looking at hitters that could potentially rebound back to their previous levels you kind of took a look back at the last couple seasons to see what happens with these players who are underperforming all season who have a great track record do they actually come back in september or are the projections just sort of pointing you to a player that they simply can't be this year for one reason or another usually injuries are a a major factor in why someone underperforms this much but what makes a player more likely to salvage a good final month amidst a brutal season did you find any characteristics that made it like a better bet to to look at a guy that has been horrible and think he actually might be okay the rest of the way or he might even be good the rest of the way yeah, one of the some one of the ones that's super obvious, I think, is that uh, the ones that uh, did better um, the rest of the way were like a year and a half younger than the ones that were older. That 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 didn't that didn't um, play up to their projections. Something we've been saying here for a while, right? <laughs> we just talked about Donaldson, you know. 
So if you if you're talking about an older player that's struggling this far into the season, it's less likely they'll bounce back in the last month than if you're talking about a younger player. So uh, Jose Breu is somebody that comes to mind, um, and uh, he was on the bad end of that, where he's an older player. And the other stuff that uh, also wouldn't surprise anybody here is that the the players that uh, got better uh, hit the ball harder uh, in terms of hard hit rate. They had a 45% uh, hit ra- uh, hard hit rate versus a 42. Uh, and they had a 10% bail rate versus an 8.6 uh, for the ones that continue to struggle. So hitting the ball harder and being younger is uh, part of it. The, the one part that was kind of hard to read was the ones that got better uh, in the last month had a 22% strikeout rate versus a 195 I do think that speaks to something we talked about here sometimes is volatility. So I think that if you've got a high strikeout guy, sometimes you just have to be like, hey, he's a high strikeout guy. He's in the bad part of the schedule. And, you know, just look at uh, how Anthony Volpe has been this year. (laughs) Like every time you're like, I mean, I saw somebody tweet last night. uh, Oh, man, Anthony Volpe's in the tank again because he had three strikeouts. And in his fourth appearance, he hit a homer. And, you know, that's the Anthony Volpe experience right now. And so uh, for some of our strugglers, um, you know, we've got uh, we've got that, um, you know, that that streakiness kind of goes in their favor a little bit. Yeah, I think we talked about Eugenio Suarez maybe end of June, early July as someone that had really disappointed up to that point in the season. And our takeaway was really that. He's had freakishly good months before because part of his approach is being a free swinger. When he runs hot, he's like the best power hitter in the game for a stretch, which is really pretty wild because when he's not on those tears, he's very much like an average or even a slightly below average offensive player at this stage of his career. And even with this kind of good run since July 1st, he's popped 10 homers. He's still striking out a third of the time, right? He's 29% better than league average during that span. But I think the high K rate players tend to have those higher highs and, and lower lows just based on their approach. Yeah. And if they're, if they're still hitting the ball while they're hitting like hard while they're hitting it and they're still young enough, like it's just an adjustment away. It's, it's something they'll be like, Oh, all right. You know, they're trying to feed me high fastballs and they do some sort of something clicks and then they, they go hot for a month. So, um, I, you know, uh, I think it's interesting. Like, if I told you that someone had struggled for five months, it, this is kind of almost like a litmus test for analytics and, and, and reliance on it and what people think of broad projections. Because if I tell you that someone had struggled for five months and, um, and, and then I tell you, oh, but he's still projected to be good for the last month, there's a certain type of analyst player or whatever that'd be like, uh, you're crazy. Tim Anderson is toast. There's no way that he can, he's going to be good in the last month. And then if I, uh, but if I also told you, hey, there's still a, a 50-50 chance uh, that they would make, that they'll be good. Uh, some of the projectionistas, like myself, would be like, uh, ooh, that's a little lower than I expected. Yeah, you think 50-50 is low based on a five-year track record of some kind of level of success. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... But I think that it kind of comes to that age and yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's about right because it, this is just the way my brain works. So it, I could have a completely flawed bit of logic here. But this is how I think of it. If you're two or three months into a season 
to me, there's there's a better chance that over two or three months that it, it is just statistical noise or a slump, right? It's it's something that something significant has not changed with that player in two or three months. For some reason, once you get to four or five months, right. especially five, some part of your brain is like, no way that guy's going to be good. He, he sucked for five months. He's toast. <laughs> there were opportunities for IL stints. There was an all-star break. There were, there were enough other like little off ramps that could have helped the player get back on track by now where I'm not betting on that bounce back in most cases. It doesn't mean Look, we're at the point in the season, from a fantasy perspective, you're just trying to max out games in some cases. Like, you look at the weekly schedule, you lose somebody, the available player list is a mess, some teams are giving guys auditions, so you're not even getting full shares, and Tim Anderson or Jose Abreu, they could be the best middle or corner guy available. And you might just say, I actually don't even think this guy's good right now. I think he's broken, but he's going to play. And because of the track record, he's slightly better than this other guy that we've never seen in the big leagues before, right? So you might make the decision based more on that and less on the projections are clearly better for Tim Anderson versus this this new shortstop that's getting some opportunities somewhere. Like that's probably the way I would look at it because if you're deciding entirely based on projections right now, I think you're discounting too much relevant information that might not be fully captured in that projection. But you also could be the the shallower your league is, the more uh, the, the the more things change. It's like you might actually have Tim Anderson and another viable shortstop, like maybe Tyra Estrada that can you know fit in there. I, mean, I don't know who's. Let me look at uh, projections and and get uh, someone that's actually you know twelve team. Uh, we look at bat ROS generate projections. Here we go. So shortstops that are projected near Tim Anderson the rest of the way. Uh, you have Volpe. Like you could be in a twelve-team league and you could have Volpe, Kim, and Anderson all on the same team. Or Orlando Arcia is right behind him. Right, Tyra Strat is actually behind him. So you could have your choice of two of these guys or three of these guys, and the projections keep saying, "Hey, play Tim Anderson." And you're just like, dude. Dude, I can't do it, and uh, and so I would say, you know, even though Tim Anderson's not someone who lives on his hard hit data, if you've listened to us, you know that I am the I care about batted ball quality a lot, uh, and this was just another sort of hey, batted ball quality matters, even if you're Tim Anderson. So I, I picked the two the, the six biggest strugglers that qualified for the batting title were Tim Anderson, Fernando Tatis Jr., Jose Abreu, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Javier Baez, and Trey Turner. And in fact, that's a great list because the 50-50 should be extremely obvious to you. It should be so clear. I saw, I saw them in the column. I was like, well, I know which of those guys I'd bet on. Like, <laughs> yeah. Everybody that read it had the same reaction. Like, obviously, it's the young good guys, not the old crappy guys. Right. Yeah. Duh. But it's still worth doing the research and like <laughs> yeah, seeing it. You know what I mean? No, I know. But I just, I just looking at the names. It's like, well, yeah, of course. Of course, Trey Turner and Vlad Jr. are the guys I want to bet on. And uh, Abreu and Baez are the guys I'm scared of. And Anderson's the one everyone's flip-flopping on. Like, ah, yeah. maybe, maybe not. Tatis was the other one. Yeah, so Tatis in, Anderson's being out. That that was my immediate takeaway. But also, just table. look at uh, what look at what Turner's done. If you want to be the guy who says he struggled for five months and he's going to be crap for the six months, I don't care what your projections say. Well, look at what Turner's done. Turner's Turner again. Right. Turner's fine, and I think Tatis and Guerrero Jr. could turn that switch any day. 
You know, yes. I think that's they, they've also been good enough where you're not really necessarily taking them out of the lineup anyway. So what are you talking about? You know what I mean? But, but well, Anderson to me is the most interesting one. And I would uh, I have him on my main event team and we have been leaving him on the bench for like the last three or four weeks. And this is a 15 team deep league. We're not yet to the point where we'll drop him. But every week we talk about dropping Tim Anderson. <laughs> but this is where that that extra information really matters to me, like the mid the mid season point as i'll call it even the end of june trey turner 249 302 380 slash line yeah you were worried for sure we all were eight homers 18 steals not the season you signed up for but you'd look at it and say that's still like 15 plus homers and high 30 still, steals still with a low average still playing like, him yeah <laughs> that's gonna work they're not gonna bench him the team's still good like all, all of those things are fine he could just double up what they he's really done so far injury concerns that we knew about yeah, and you just live with it, and that's fine. But even just since then, he, he started to play better in July and August, whereas with Anderson, there's... There just hasn't been. There's no evidence. And there's been injury concerns, so I think, you know, there it is not out of the realm of possibility he gets shut down for these injuries. I mean, there's the knee... He's There's notes in May where he's talking about his knee. Right, and the ground ball rate's been through the roof all season, 62.2%. He's not the same guy right now, and I'm not sure... The projections, at least earlier in the year, I don't know if the projections were able to pull that information in, right? In, injury information left out. Now he's been and, bad enough long enough where the rest of the season projections finally steer you away from Tim Anderson. And to be clear, I was talking about, when I talk projections in this piece, I was talking about preseason projections. Uh, the projection uh, people that run the projections did not have daily ones logged in a way that we could like, look at their rest of season projections on August 1st or on September 1st, you know, looking back. So I wasn't able to do that. Some of this stuff is totally baked into the rest of season projections, but I would say, I don't know if they go far enough because yes, uh, Tim Anderson's uh, rest of season projection has dropped from like 750 to 700. I, uh, OPS. I don't know if he's going to make it 700, man. He's got a 570 so far this year. <laughs> you know, like, right, right. I think 600 would be surprising the rest of the way. So sometimes I think you you can uh, use some of this and your brain and kind of move ahead of the projections because the projections are going to you know factor in that edge case where Tim Anderson, you know, other Tim Andersons in the multiverse uh, went on the IL for the knee injury, came back fully healthy and, you know, put together a, a normal last month. You know, there are situations like that. And, but Tim Anderson's not in this universe. I don't think is going to even have a 600 OPS the rest of the way. I think this is a clear case where if there's a rebound, it takes an off season of getting healthy and coming back with, a clean slate. I mean, mm. rock bottom happened. Unfortunately, maybe with a new team. Yeah, maybe even with a new team too. But he, rock bottom was the the brawl with the Guardians when Jose Ramirez punched Tim Anderson in the face. Like that. That was the ultimate low point for him. I think you need an off season to reset from that and especially since I didn't look again. like uh, a lot of his teammates necessarily had his back. No, no, it really, it really didn't. I mean, that's a that that team is just such a disaster. It's been. Yeah. Heavily discussed on this pod and, and on the Athletic Baseball Show throughout the year. And changes may be coming. <laughs> but Tatis and, Tatis and Guerrero are like, you know, those are guys that people say are struggling. But they have both have over a 50% hard hit rate and basically a 12% barrel rate. Like, if they fall out of the second round next year, I'm buying, buying, buying. If the, You know, I think Tatis, we said, was still a first rounder. I love, I love getting him in late first round. 
I would I would be all over that next year. And Vlad Guerrero in the late second, early third, psh, give me. There's some way that I can come out of a 15-team draft next year, and I've got Tatis and... I, I, I love and, and Vlad, just, just both of them somehow. Tatis, like, what if I could come out of the first three rounds of Tatis, Vlad, and an ace? That would be good. Like, like who's an ace that might fall a little bit? Alcantara in the third, or like you know maybe somebody like that. I, I think Woodruff is going to fall further. So you you're thinking end of the first round then, fifteen, sixteen. See where you're going to get where you're going to get sidetracked. I would try to get Tatis, pitcher, and then hope that Vlad falls to me in the beginning of the third. You got to be a little bit off the end, I think. I think Vlad, I feel like mid-third round is about the furthest he'd fall. Like, pick 40. There's, there are going to be or, plenty or, of people that pick, believe in him. Pick seven, take Tatis, take a pitcher, and then take Vlad in the, in the middle of the third. Okay. All right. I like, I like that. Could, that could be, you know, a million-dollar maker. I feel like. I, I just... those. Just to get talent like that with high floors that coming off and, and they're young still. Yeah, I'm pumped. I'm pumped because I know they have drafts every year at first pitch Arizona. I'm going back mm-hmm. this year. You're going to be there. So we've got uh, a lot to look forward to and still another month to, to play, of course, in the current season. But if you are interested in joining many of us in Arizona for first pitch Arizona, go to baseballhq.com for all the details. Get that registration in. I know the price goes up. At some point in September, I don't remember off the top of my head. It's really fun. You, we go to uh, an Arizona Fall League game. We go to the uh, the Arizona Fall League now has a home run derby. We go to the All-Star game. That's on Sunday night. Uh, Paul Spore always has uh, like a little fantasy game we play called Paul Stars uh, <laughs> at the All-Star game where we do like a quick two-round draft and we get points. It's almost like a little mini DFS game uh, where you pick two guys and we all just put like 20 bucks in the pot. And uh, it's that kind of stuff. There's poker at night, uh, usually some beer sharing um, and lots of great uh, presentations during the day about uh, how to win at fantasy baseball. So it's a, it's a good time. Come watch me chain drink iced coffee for 18 hours a day. <laughs> while while watching baseball and and uh yeah just it's being around a lot of friends I, people i haven't seen in a few years right i mean I, I missed a couple because of pandemic year it was canceled 2021 yeah, it was just all sorts of family stuff going on the last couple of years for me so i'm excited to get back out there it is honestly one of the best trips of the year and that sunday night futures game just be aware of that try to book your trip so you can actually see that because that's like the best opportunity to see as many of the good players who are in the league all in one shot so try to make it like a thursday to monday if you can yeah if you can't if you can't make thursday i mean that's there's like a there's always like a welcome you know uh at the game on thursday night if you had to miss one of thursday or sunday like miss thursday i guess because try to get them sunday is fun yeah take the time you will enjoy it we are going to go on our way out the door. Reminder, we got a special going right now. $1 a month gets you in the door for the first year at theathletic.com slash rate and barrels on that social media platform now called X. You can find Eno at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek and Riper. You can find the pod at rates and barrels. It's going to do it for this episode of rates and barrels. We are back with you on Friday. Thanks for listening. <laughs>